welcome to the Super Sentai Buddies. This is episode 15 of The Spider-Man Who Loved Me, a podcast dedicated to the Toei production of Spider-Man. Every so often we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is producer Mark. With me, as always, is my co-host and buddy, Brian. Brian, how you doing today? Uh, I'm I'm doing it's it's too warm for spring. I think we're suddenly in summer and I'm unprepared. <laughs> We did have a weird, sudden spike of summer in the middle of what was a very chill spring. It's too warm in my house. My my air conditioner's <laughs> not in. I'm going to die of heat stroke before the end of this podcast. I had, uh, unrelated to anything other than the change of seasons, uh, for the tail end of winter... I had been parking one of our two cars outside of our garage because the garage door opener just stopped working suddenly. Hmm. And not like the battery died in the little opener, but like the wheels of the door were getting caught on the track as they raised. Yeah. Uh, and we had a lot going on at that time frame. So we're like, oh, we'll just let it go for a little bit. When it warms up a bit, we can get outside, have a look at it and fix mm-hmm. it. So it's warmer. My wife went outside and said, we should check the garage door. Walked in, pushed the button, opened just fine. After weeks of not working, I don't I don't know how long it's suddenly been working again. Mm-hmm. My only presumption is it cheered up with the warm weather. Maybe maybe it was secretly frozen. <laughs> I have no idea. But I got a working garage door now, and I didn't have to do anything to fix it other than push it. Oh, up. that seems to be a win. <laughs> so today we are watching Spider-Man episode 15, Our Promise of Life. But first, we do have a bit of administration to attend to. Brian, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. A program format that we are required to stick to when we co-host this show. I don't actually know if that's true. I've, I've never asked Matt if we could go off, but I, mean, I just think I'd feel very to, guilty if we didn't do it. To be fair, we're bad at it because when we do the five stars, and I think that's true this time as well... We always make it 10 stars. That is that is that is also very so true. We're already bad at the format. <laughs> Matt and Dave will be back next week. They're actually hoping to record here in just a couple of days, but we've had enough of an on and off schedule for the last month or two that we didn't want to leave too long of a gap between a new episode. So Brian and I are here to watch Maybe the weirdest episode of Spider-Man we've seen yet. I know we say that every week, but here yep. we are saying it again. I, I feel like having the long breaks in between just makes the series more bizarre than maybe it truly is. That that could be the case because we get a little distance from it and then go back and are gobsmacked by how weird it is. Right. It's uh, it it's like it's like we have a very high dose and then, you know, we we taper off. Right. And now we don't have any resistance to Japanese Spider-Man anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we are, as we often do, we're not doing a what's going on in our lives five stars. We're doing a top five. That seems to be the Brian and Mark variant on the five stars. Well, because we try to save the bits of our boring lives for the other podcasts we do <laughs> and not, not right. sell out our, our high quality content here. We do so few exciting things that we need to hoard those so that we can talk about them on the other show. The only but, exciting thing I did last week was watch all of BBC's Ghosts. 
Yeah, and then told me about how great it was, and now I am watching all of BBC's Ghosts. If you would like to have a crush on Charlotte Ritchie, please watch all of BBC's Ghosts. <laughs> so, usually when we do this segment, it is a, a complete non-sequitur of a five-star list, because we often record these and put them in the can just so they can be dropped in an emergency. This week we're recording shortly before uploading, and... We have a timely five stars topic. Right, which weirdly enough means that the only time this five stars will be relevant is about the next 72 hours. Yeah, so if you didn't know, Mystery Science Theater 3000 is doing another Kickstarter to relaunch Network Free. So they came back a few years ago on Netflix, and Netflix did what they usually do, which is they had a couple of seasons and then cut it. You know, Netflix style. So Mystery Science Theater is trying to do their own thing now. We all on the podcast, I think everyone who is a participant on this podcast is a big fan of that program. So we are very excited for it. It has come up on many stars before as various configurations of the hosts of this panel have gone to see the live shows and things. That said, I know Mystery Science Theater isn't for everyone, and not in, like, a snooty way, but one, comedy is subjective. Right. And further, some people just can't deal with the sort of sense clash of having a a second set of voices talking over top of a movie. Like, that just doesn't work in their brain, and I get that. So if you're not a Mystery Science Theater person and don't want to listen to Brian and I yammer about it, you can probably jump to about the 20-minute mark of this show and check in, see how we're looking. Because for the next little bit, our five stars this week are our personal favorite Mystery Science Theater moments. That so we're we not could picking come up favorite with today. That we could come up with in the last two or so hours. So we're not picking like our favorite episodes or anything, just individual standout moments. Could be an episode, could be a skit, whatever. We left the rules very loose. Yeah. (laughs) So here we go. Five stars this week. Five favorite mystery science theater moments. Brian, what is your star number five? So my star number five is not the movie Final Sacrifice, but instead the entire concept and portrayal of Zap Rousedower. (laughs) Uh, yeah. From, from you know, I wonder if there's beer on the sun to the name Zap Rousedower, which is an all-time name. Like, I'm bad at making names, uh, sort of famously. <laughs> like, sure. my first D&D character was Orlando Juniper, because I saw <laughs> the, a magic card with Juniper Order Advocates, and I'm like, yeah, that'll work. That'll do it. Uh, newsflash, it was a terrible character name, and I have never got better. Anyway, <laughs> Zap Rousedower, uh, your, your Canadian uh, wearing effectively the Canadian tuxedo. It's just, he's a paunchy hero. For that, all men. Yes, for all men. For all <laughs> all men who look like perhaps they're doing a second job as a trucker. It's Zap Rousedower. I that mean, epi- heck, he puts up with that kid, and for that, like, Zap Rousedower must have <laughs> incredible stamina. That episode, which I think is numbered 910, also gave us the Canada song. Mm, I wish yes. I was back in old Canada. Yes, I wish I was back 
American. Right. Which is a real delight. Yeah. What is your number five? My number five is another fan favorite, and I put it in here early just to, I don't want to say take it off the board, mm-hmm. but when I think Mystery Science Theater, one of the first things that jumps to mind is Mr. B Natural. Ah, uh, yes. Mr. Would, B, you're hot. This is an incredible short, and also I think the short that we used in college to introduce people to mystery science theater. We watched, like, we're just the right age. The sci-fi era ended pretty much as we were going into college. Right. Uh, And it was in these still sort of lawless days of the internet. Yes. So we had access to, via the internet, just all the mystery science theater. And we made a real good faith effort to watch as much of it as we could, especially freshman year. But really the whole four years we were there. Yep. And when we would drag new friends in, Mr. B Natural was sort of the... And that was, I think, from Ep 319, War of the Colossal Beast. I do want to very quickly give a hat tip to a Rift Tracks short. Rift Tracks being the Mike Nelson, uh, Bill Corbett, Kevin Murphy project that came after MST3K. Since I'm, Since my number five is a short... Mr. B. Natural, maybe the greatest mystery science theater short. I just want to briefly call out three magic words by Rift Tracks. Mm, which Which, is, that may be my favorite short of all time. That's what I was just going to say. It stands up there with the best of what mystery science theater has to offer. I'm not going to get into it a ton because this is an MST3K-centric thing. But if you are not familiar with Rift Tracks and want to kind of get a taste of how good it can be, go spend a buck, buy three magic words, and give it a watch. All right, onward. Brian, what is your star number four? So I'm picking a song from the Jonah Heston era, and that is the UFO song they sing in Star Crash. <laughs> That's so good. It Because Star Crash hits a point where it's just going to be somebody walking through a spaceship for what feels like 100,000 hours. Yep. And... Jonah starts breaking into a sci-fi reference-laden surf song. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a 1950s surf rock song. I mean, lyrics like, on the Kessel Run, yeah, nobody can touch her. Let me be the Picard to your Beverly Crusher. <laughs> it's a real and good that's, couplet. That's a real it's, good couplet. It's just great, good stuff like that the whole way through. And, I mean, there's nothing going on on screen. And so it's it's just so absurd and wonderful, and I love it. Matt, music has always been such a weird part of what makes Mystery Science Theater work. And seeing specifically songs like that, and like every monster, The Magic in You is another one from an episode within that season, really, like, it made it feel like, okay, yep, this is the thing we love. Yep, and uh, just a special honorable mention there. Um, the line that Crow gives in the Jonah Heston seasons of "You're not my real dad" is great <laughs> on so many multiple levels because you know they've changed performers, and Joel yep. was the one who originally built the bots and everything. And yep. so just just the delivery and timber of "You're not my real dad" is is just great for it's Crow. Very very good. So I will throw to your number four as we try to keep this moving along so you don't have a ton of editing to do. Interestingly, my number four is also my call out to the Jonah Heston era of Mystery Science Theater. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of good bits. 
the one I chose to focus on is very small. It's not necessarily my favorite moment from the season. It's a single line, but it's the moment that I knew everything was going to be okay. As an old fan who was just watching the new series and hopeful because I liked the cast, in episode 1101, Reptilicus, the very first episode of the new era, there's this real dumb joke where GPC is... has like two jokes an episode because she just like drops something off in the theater and picks it up. Anyway, a guy walks on screen and puts his hat on top of a filing cabinet and GPC says, now you're Mr. Filing Cabinet. (laughs) And it's such a dumb joke, but it is such a mystery science theater joke. Like that was, and it's fairly early on in the, in the episode, but that was the moment as the first episode was unfolding where I just sort of exhaled. And I was like, Nope, this is the thing. This is mystery science theater. Like, it's not going to feel exactly like the old one, but they have that magic. Right. That that joke is what reassured me that we were in good hands. Look, sometimes, sometimes you just want the joke to be dumb. Yep. <laughs> All right. What is your star number three? My star number three is a host segment. Now, let me preface this by saying I'm part of the camp that says... Sometimes the host segments are good, and sometimes they're just actively bad. Uh, I I just think that that's a truth that all of us who love MST3K need to come to terms with. Like, some host segments are bad. But for my all-time favorite one, one that I will still occasionally just throw on, is Cowboy Mike's Ricochet Barbecue Sauce. (laughs) It's it's quick, it moves, it is super dumb. Like... It's really good. It's bold. And then the stunning reveal that it's not actually very bold. Yeah, what's the deal with this stuff not being bold? And then it's available in new extra bold. Like, it's... It is the pinnacle of this is so dumb that it should not work, and I'm in love with it. I love it so much. I love the sound effects with the hats shooting off because it's so <laughs> dumb but there's there's like a level of dumb that if you commit hard enough it becomes genius and that's what <laughs> cowboy mike's ricochet barbecue sauce it is an example of the host segments at their best like when it is just three friends just being real goofy or i guess five because the mads got in on that short right too. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that maybe it's also of its era because that would have been in the era of uh, high quality gray Poupon and um, yep. oh, what was that? Uh, New York City. New York City, like salt. Uh, Whatever El the Paso? salsa was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that salsa. New York City. Like it was the <laughs> it was the era of weird like cowboy reactions or or Victorian reactions to right. to these to brand name products, and that <laughs> that was certainly an era to live through. <laughs> What is your number three? My number three is a concept within the show itself. And that is Croti Robot script for Earth versus Soup. Which okay. is just a recurring bit. I think it showed up first in uh, Ep 313, which was Earth versus Spider. Or Earth versus the Spider. Mm-hmm. When Crow insisted that he was writing a screenplay called Earth versus Soup. And it just, it just recurs multiple times throughout the arc of the show's history and at a certain point becomes a proxy for the show to lampoon 
its own struggles in making Mystery Science Theater the movie, which is a thing that happened in real life. Right. Yeah. Boy, that's that's a whole different conversation to have. Right. There was a there was a bit somewhere where he wrote a sequel, I think, called Chocolate Jones in the Temple of Funk. <laughs> now, that's that's a title that someone should make a movie around. <laughs> But I love Earth vs. Soup. It got a little nod as well in the Netflix era. It's, it is it is an endlessly delightful joke for me. There was a window of time on the internet, Brian. I think it was briefly, it was a pre-pandemic thing where the internet had this joke of, I made a bot watch a hundred episode of Friends and write a script. Mm, yep. And because bot is the terminology that Mystery Science Theater always uses for uh, Servo and Crow, mm-hmm. every time I saw that joke, I just I just thought of like, yeah, that's what the Foresters were doing. They made a bot watch hundreds of bad movies and then look at the script that he wrote. Earth versus Soup. Earth versus Soup. What is your number two star, Brian? Uh, my number two is a full movie. Um, and some might be surprised that it's not number one, but that movie is Mitchell. Oh, yeah. Mitchell is the Joe Don Baker classic. It it moves. It it really is just just a perfect marriage of of a whole bunch of things going on. Your slovenly hero, Mitchell. Yep. Uh, just the jokes y- have maybe the crispest pacing they've ever had. Yep. Your your grand 3M commercials going on in the yep. middle of yeah. the <laughs> just just everything about Mitchell Every now and then, I will just comment, wasn't John Saxon in this movie? Uh, I, I think it might be my brother's favorite of these. Uh, Mitchell, Mitchell is great. Love also, the transition episode from Joel to Mike. Yes, it's, it's firing on every cylinder that it possibly can. Ah. Again, on, on a different day, this might be number one. <laughs> what is your number two? My number two is a Tom Servo song. So, especially after Kevin Murphy had taken over as Tom Servo in season three slash sort of season two, depending on how you count the KTMA year. Right. Sir, like a big part of Servo's thing was singing because Kevin just has a lovely singing voice. There's so many, like there are a lot of good options. And I, I scrolled through a few of them in my head and it almost was the Tom Servo men's choir, mm-hmm. which is really fantastic. But ultimately I landed on the creepy girl song from Catalina okay. Caper. You do like Creepy Girl. I love the Creepy Girl. And Catalina Caper, to me, it's an early one. It's from uh, 204. It's right in the beginning of season two. And to me, it is when you feel the show, like, really find all of the beats. The KTMA years are a different beast entirely. Season one is, like, it's figuring itself out. When we get to Catalina Caper, the, the... that feels to me like the first one that really fully delivers on the formula. And part of that formula is Tom Servo singing. Also a very brief hat tip, hat tip to Crow in his uh, Kim Cattrall love song from City Limits, (laughs) which is maybe the worst song because it's just him like monotone repeating Kim Cattrall. But I love it. All right. Star number one. What is your top star, Brian? Space Mutiny. Yeah, Space Mutiny fair. is an all-time one. I know that over at Rift Tracks they did a re-riff of Space Mutiny. Uh, Space Mutiny is just so good. It's the one with blast hard cheese. Yep, and just, <laughs> just the mood like 
the riffs are all timers in Mitchell and the riffs are very good here, but it blends with how much dumber space mutiny is on so many levels. Yeah. But like dumb in such a way that it holds itself together. And, and, and that's always kind of an iffy proposition, like a good movie to riff. One has to be bad, but it also has to have the barest semblance of coherence. Or kind of, it all falls apart because you it, you can't really even get rift through lines because it's not held together. <laughs> and Space Mutiny is held together by some very, very dumb pieces. And yep. I think that's that's one of the things that makes it work so well. I mean, you yeah. have you have basically Santa Claus as... I mean, it's not Santa Claus, but... That certainly looks like a space version of Santa Claus <laughs> as who seems to be the guy in charge of this ship. I'm not clear. He doesn't seem like a man who should be in charge of a ship. Uh, you have continuity errors where a character who is killed in one scene appears in the very next scene. Yep. Uh, you, I mean, the two leads of this movie are actually married in real life, which is fun. Wild. Yep. Yep. And years later, Rift Tracks would do like a new review of it, and Kevin Murphy just dressed up as Space Santa Claus, basically. Yeah. And because Kevin Murphy's now like a sixty-year-old man with a full white beard, it is uncanny how much he looked like that character. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just you even have the the secret reveal at the end that the villain's not read it, really dead. I just everything about Space Mutiny works, but the main <laughs> thing is railing kills and you know, big McLarge huge. Yeah. And what is your number one? My number one with an honorable mention to Puma man, possibly mm. the retrograde orbit society's most watched episode of mystery science theater. There was in fact, uh, a Puma man off the cuff joke in our daily email chain just today. Hmm. But my number one is it's the episode Santa Claus number five twenty one. Yeah. Which is an incredibly good one. And it is specifically the riff where uh, Lupita, the little girl who's the lead of the movie, is standing outside a department store just sadly looking in. Mm -hmm. And then a minute later is watching other kids engage with Santa. And the uh, the riff is Santa's laughter mocks the poor. It's so dark. It's And not only is it an incredibly good and dark joke, it's also like it's a really good little like commentary on the consumerist nature of christmas buried into this goofy riff yeah it's a re it's just a it's a knife twister of a joke and it i it, it for me it really exemplifies because that was fairly early on in the mic run that was mm -hmm. not long after he took over and it exemplifies the sort of the sort of sharper edge of the mic era mm -hmm. man that was fun to talk about yeah <laughs> so brian I think it is time to watch episode 15 of Spider-Man, Our Promise of Life. First, we're going to take a little break so I can refill my drink. Mm -hmm. We're going to check out this episode, and we will be right back. Change the apart We're back. I, I don't even know how to start framing this episode. How did this episode hit you? Uh, it, it hit weird because... And the, you know, I, I think there's something we need to reveal up front about this episode. These episodes are about 24, 25 minutes long. Yep. There is no hint 
the the Iron Cross army even exists in this episode until minute 1130. I'm honestly a little worried that our talk about this episode is going to be about eight minutes long. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how, like, there's nothing to talk about. Yeah, it's going to be real difficult. Like, at first, I was wondering, like, are they are they ever going to show up? Is this just a Spider-Man does a good deed this week? Slice of life episode? This is this is one of those episodes they put on the schedule when they don't want to pay anybody that week. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I do love, in almost any series, I do love a good slice of life episode. This one's real interesting. Let's just get right into it. We open on a kid doing a little grocery shopping at an outdoor market. Right. Seems seems fine. Extremely uh, normal. He's got I think what every human would describe as a shopping bag. Yeah. And inside his shopping bag are a few groceries. And then he is just accosted by a group of oh, what half a dozen or so 7-year-olds. To be clear, this kid is also about 7. Right. <laughs> yes. We we should make that clear. And um they're all in baseball uniforms and one of them is Spider-Man's little brother? Yeah, Takuji is here. He's one of the baseball bros. Yeah, and apparently grocery shopping was a gendered activity in the 1970s. Yeah, boy, because they at first I thought like, because they're making fun of him for, for the bag he's carrying. And at first I thought like, oh, they're making some dumb gender joke about a boy carrying a purse. Like, I got it. It's the right. 70s. No, it's even dumber and worse than that. They're making a dumb gender joke about grocery shopping and then then they escalate it because then they see what he's actually bought and it feels like they're scolding him for buying basic groceries it's right that's very weird they're like haha why are you buying this ridiculous pile of nonsense and i i think maybe they're laughing at him for not buying much i i guess like you only bought two eggs some zucchini Cheese? I don't know if there was cheese. I can't remember. Yeah, like a little bit of rice. Right. Like, you only bought three things. It's worse. It's not just this is a gendered activity, but you must also be poor. I guess it's a poor joke, right? That's the only way I could process that. Uh, I I guess. I mean, this might be one that we just don't have the cultural context to really process. Maybe so. Maybe, Maybe there is something there. Yeah. I mean, maybe it does have something to do with the food, but like, I don't know. Because it's pretty normal. Where we live, we live a bit away from a grocery store. We live very rurally. Right. So grocery shopping for us would often involve buying enough groceries for, you know, a week or more at a time. Right. But it is very normal if you live close to a grocery store to just go buy groceries for dinner that night. Like, that's just a thing that happens. Uh, And that's very clearly what this kid has done. He has went and bought the groceries he needs to make dinner tonight. Yeah, honestly, you kids there, you're you're mocking not having a lot of groceries. Let me tell you about grocery runs when you're a college student. (laughs) You know what you're going to get? $5 of ramen. That's what you're going to get. Yeah, yep. First, they make fun of him for... I I think being a girl or something because he's grocery shopping. Right. Then they make fun of him for being poor. And then they just steal his groceries and destroy them. Right. Like this just keeps escalating. Yeah. Well, uh, Takoya shows up. He's like, yes. hey, what are you doing? Uh, and that's when they kind of drop the bag and, and run. 
Yeah. The eggs break. Yeah. The kid is very sad. And Takoya, in what is easily Takoya the human's best episode, Mm -hmm. because usually this guy is not like, he's not real great at being a brother. He's not real great at being a boyfriend. He's terrible at being a boyfriend. (laughs) Yeah. But in this episode, we get a truly like humane and humanitarian Takoya. And he he buys the kid not only replacement groceries, but a little more, and then says, hey, one of those idiots was my little brother, and don't you worry, I will be having words with him tonight. The funny thing is, because of how they cut the scene, it did seem at first like Takoya was only going to walk over, say sorry for a minute, and then they lingered there, and I wrote down in my notes, he's going to say sorry but this is Takoya. He's not. He's not going to actually pay for those eggs. Yeah, and he did. That is absolutely, I was, what I expected. I was I, absolutely I, surprised that <laughs> that old Spider Man came through here. And then he goes home and he chats with the kid. Yeah, like he's he's taking some time to make a personal connection with this kid because he can tell this kid has been verbally, physically, emotionally abused, and my brother was partially at fault. So he's kind of hanging out to help this kid, like, lift his spirits. He goes home with him. He's chatting with the kid while the kid cooks. And he's just kind of learning about his life a little. And this kid's life is challenging. Yep. Not particularly atypical. His dad has passed. So his mom is a single parent. So she has to work a lot. So the kid has been forced to grow up quicker than he otherwise could or should have. Because he takes care of the house. He makes dinner. He cleans. Again, a, a fairly recognizable and universal story, I think. Then we learn, because he's cooking dinner and he just grabs his chest like he's having a heart attack. Uh, the the subtitles I was watching initially described it as a seizure. That, I think that was a trans translation error. There... It might be the second most egregious translation error in the episode because it also <laughs> feels very much like it's not it's that's not a seizure because um, right. we, we find that this is a vascular issue and a seizure is yes. typically a neurological issue. Um, but effectively, you know, doubles over in pain because uh, there are problems with his heart. And he sort of waves to Koya off. Uh, the kid's name is Junchi, by the way. I don't think we've brought that up yet. Mm-hmm. Junchi kind of waves Takoya off, he's, and he kind of grimaces. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's fine. It'll pass. So here's this poor, brave seven-year-old, single mom, has to like do the cooking himself, and he's also, at seven, learned to just like grimace through severe chest pain to wait for it to pass. That's, uh, that's a rough deal. We have really, yeah, this kid, like... I know the point was to build this kid as a sad yet relatable story, but boy, is it like he's got a lot working against him. Right. Well, uh, not only that, the other thing as working against him is the universe where this show exists, because weirdly enough, this is a show where you absolutely have to worry about whether or not this child is going to make it through this episode. Right. Yeah. It is entirely plausible, given how the previous 14 episodes have gone, that this kid is not making it out of the episode. Yeah. He also says, uh, and this is 
this now explains to us why the bullies were wearing baseball uniforms earlier in the episode. Because he says, due to my condition, I can't play sports. I can't play baseball. I can't play soccer. Oddly and so enough, other boys make fun of me. I, I would argue that like he probably could play soccer. It'll just look like he's taking a dive, but I mean, yeah. the European <laughs> leagues are going to love him. <laughs> so that kind of frames up the bullying. He is a physically handicapped kid, and that is frequently a target for grade schoolers. Yep. And it all kind of tracks. Again, whether I, I don't know to what degree they were trying to frame this kid, but it is very relatable. I found this like one, the actor's doing a pretty good job. This this young seven year old is doing pretty good work on the whole. Yeah. Uh but also just his his the framing of this character is deeper and more like complex and relatable than a lot of the one off characters that we get. Yeah, I, I feel also because it's it's a juxtaposition of being in kind of the worst situation and circumstances, but like the episode is not dwelling on that. Like this kid's right. just trying to make it through the day. Yeah, he's like he is the center of this story, but we're not dwelling on all of the difficulties in his life. We're just telling a story about him. I will say it's interesting to watch in light of the fact that we've already seen one episode where Spider-Man becomes like the proxy big brother to another kid. Right. Yeah. And then that kid like has to get sent away far, far away. So he never sees Spider-Man right. again or some such stuff. Like, <laughs> right. so like you already have no idea how, how this is all going to play out. <laughs> so the kid's mom comes home. Takoya goes home and just gives an earful appropriately to Takuchi. He really chews him out uh, for just for being a bully, but specifically for targeting someone weaker than him. He says, you don't know that kid's story. You don't know how hard he works. This was an incredibly awful thing for you to do. And their sister Shinko also chimes in specifically to point out, like, yeah, bullying someone weaker than you is about the crummiest it gets for humans. Yeah. Uh, also, I like the call out of what you think being good at baseball and soccer makes you better than people. Wise up. Yeah. Tucker. Yeah. It is like not only is Takoya an actual good person in this episode, the sort of moral structure of it is pretty sound like yeah. the moral lesson here it's, it's pretty decent yeah don't be an awful human being is basically what it boils down yeah, to that is basically what it boils and down it, it's to. not yeah. even you know approaching it like well we should nuance this it's like no that was an awful thing to do don't do awful things <laughs> yeah and, and shinko turns around from the sink and is like yeah that's right don't do awful things <laughs> and as as a way of sort of trying to cheer Juchi up, Takoya goes to hang out with him as Spider-Man. So we just get like a, a cut scene of Spider-Man and a seven-year-old playing in a park. 
Yeah, I mean, at times, Spider-Man is being very reckless with this child's safety. That's true. And also, like, I know you're trying to say, like, you can do it. Spider-Man, don't do things only Spider-Man can do when you're trying to teach that. Like, right. don't don't leap up 20 feet in the air and climb a tree and then, like, stand like, yeah, yeah, you can do this. Like, no, this kid, even with, you know, full capabilities and no no hindrances cannot climb a tree like that spider-man he does not have spider powers (laughs) but yeah i I mean the 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 heart is there and you know he kind of helps him semi climb the tree and they're they're having a park day of it is there nobody else in this park that seems that seems absurd that nobody is in that park saying is spider-man just hanging out in the park today yeah it's it's very weird, and it is definitely jarring that the park is that empty. Honestly, one of the things about this universe that this episode will also call into question later is outside of people who directly interact with Spider-Man, is are other people aware that Spider-Man exists? Because sometimes it seems like, no. That's actually something I have later in the notes, but let's talk about it now. Yep. There's a weird discrepancy within this universe in that Spider-Man... When the narrative needs it, is famous and well known. Mm-hmm. Like episodes like this, a seven year old will see him and go, "Oh my gosh, it's Spider Man! I can't believe it's Spider Man, hero of Tokyo." Right. But at other times, you get the impression that Spider Man operates completely under the radar, and the general public is not aware of him at all. You mean? Why? Because later in this episode, that kid will mumble Spider-Man and his mother will be like, Spider-Man, what's that mean? The heck is that? (laughs) What do you mean, what's that mean? It's Spider-Man. But it's still like, oddness of the scene aside, it is sort of sweet. And it's it's like, on the whole, I think they get the tone they're going for here. Yeah, it, and this is also around the time we're like, is this, is this just what the episode is this week? Like... We're gonna we're gonna have fun montage adventures with this kid. I mean, I I guess we can do that. Um, honestly, if if we were going to do the full episode about that, I am a hundred percent certain that would mean the kid dies in the end. Yep, yep. I also this was also the point for me, uh, or the very next scene, because the next scene is the kid going to school and telling the bullies, "Hey, guess who's hanging out with Spider Man?" And that's when I started thinking, like, oh. Is this episode just like fully slice of life? Mm -hmm. But I will say that's some real uh, bully survival 101 unforced error. Mm -hmm. Don't like the kid wants the bullies to think he's cool. Right. And so he's going to tell them the cool thing that he's doing. And listen, if you uh, this is not good advice because there's no good advice for being bullied because bullying is terrible. But. Like, going to find the bullies to try to convince them you're cool is never going to help your cause. No. Uh, I mean, we're it's weird, because we're in the one exception in media, which is if you're friends with a superhero. That's the thing. Friends with a superhero is the exception in media that teaches, like, ah, oh, no, it'll be cool. That superhero will show up later. And, like... But Superman and Spider-Man don't exist in the real world, so perhaps, perhaps you shouldn't do that. Yeah. And I get it. He's seven, and a very cool thing has happened to him. Right. So I'm not shaming the kid here. Yeah. He's doing what would be natural to any seven-year-old. Right. Which is 
tell other kids about the cool thing that just happened to him. Right. We're we're trying to protect the seven to ten year old audience listening to us right now. Right. <laughs> but as a guy who uh, talked on Mike frequently about how having suffered through extended bullying in grade school, I just shook my head at poor Junchi here like, when oh. he tried to convince the bullies that he was cool. No. Like, buddy, no, just get your head down. Just get no. your head down and get out of there. All right. After that, the baseball team laughs and he's like, yeah, right. You're not hanging out with Spider-Man. That's ludicrous. But Takuji does hang around. Now, I'm not going to give too many props to Takuji here because he does not go out of his way to stand up for this boy. He doesn't say a dang word while the rest of his team is around. And he actually starts walking off with the team until he pulls kind of a, I'm going to stand here a bit, wait till the team is like out of eye shot so they can't right. actually see me hang out with this kid. But then I'm going to start hanging out with them. Right. So it's, yeah, not not full marks here, but I guess better than nothing. Yeah, Credit at least for legitimately apologizing, not like, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings, right. but... He said, what I did was bad, and I am sorry. Right. We So, credit for that. Yeah. We get some points for de minimis effort. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then the kid has another vascular issue, and we smash cut to the hospital, where his mom is talking to Takoya about the hole in his heart. Right. Which is, I think, the second wildest thing that she brings up. The first wildest is we haven't gotten it fixed because, you know, the stuff with his father is so recent. Not that, like, the stress would be bad for him or we can't pay for it. It's like, his dad just died, so we're going to leave him with a crippling medical condition until he's over that. very strange. Uh, It's like, no, I would think that being more recent is all the more reason to fix this thing, which I'm sure is affected by stress sooner rather than later yeah that sentence was a real roller coaster because she started by saying we were going to have it addressed but then his father died and so you are waiting for the back end of that sentence to be like and you know the cost of the funeral and everything bankrupted us or we lost our health insurance because he was our primary earner like you know you're expecting something like that and it just turns into like so we like we were just very sad which granted sure absolutely yeah but still that like it, it, it was not what I expected the second half of that sentence to be. Also, like, his mother, I, I guess, like, she's just used to taking everything in stride because she very much delivers it like, yeah, the heart surgery. I guess we were going to get around to it. Like, I yeah. guess I guess it has to be now. But she she does not seem either stressed that it's happening now or majorly inconvenienced that it's happening now. Just sort of like, oh, I guess now I guess now is fine. That Yeah, mom is weird. As much as I praised the kids' performance, the mom's performance throughout most of this episode is just odd. Yeah. You would have thought that she's the secret monster, but she is not. (laughs) So the kid is going to have to get surgery. He's muttering about Spider-Man in his sleep. And this is when you pointed out earlier, the mom's like, that is Spider-Man. Yeah. And... I think the next scene is a visit from Shinko and Takuchi. And for just a minute, this scene threw me off because it felt odd to cram Spider-Man's siblings into this part of the episode. Right. 
And then I remember like, oh, yeah, but like the B plot here is that Takuji is trying to become friends with this. Like he's he's trying to be a pal. Right. And Shinka would have had to drive him to the hospital. Exactly. So once my brain reconciled that, I was like, OK, no, this makes sense. Right. And when they open the door, they find a note jammed in Junichi's hospital room door from Spider-Man. Saying, I'll be there for the surgery. Yeah. Which Hang to in me... there, kid. I'll come. Th- I'll come for the surgery. Which to me, very much sounded like I'm going to perform the surgery. It definitely did. <laughs> like, don't worry about that hole in your heart. Spider-Man's going to take care of it. Spider-Man doesn't know surgery. <laughs> I'm not even sure 616 Peter Parker knows surgery. Yeah. Now, if this were Peter Parker, I would at least buy that there's some plausible explanation for him knowing a medical procedure. Right. But, Maybe not open heart surgery, but right. Yeah. Right. But dirt bike and Takuji. No, no. But really what he's saying is like, I'll, I'll be there to cheer you on. You know, I'll, I'll be there to be part of your team. Shinko has heard the note. She heads out and gives a call to, I'm sorry, listener. She places a call to Hitomi's butt. Because we cut the phone rings, we cut to Hitomi, who, for reasons that I think are ostensibly like, she's doing some aerobic exercises. Right. It's just her butt up in the air. It's it's jarring. Look, that was all 1970s and 1980s exercise videos were. That is true. Yep. So. Just, just Jane Fonda or whatever, like, your individual home nation's version of Jane Fonda was. Right. It was a weird time for exercise. Right. So it's it's not even jarring in the sense it's like, oh, right, they used to do this like this. I think the secondary note, which is not about Hitomi's butt, is Hitomi has a very nice apartment from what we can see of it. Yeah. Hitomi is doing well for herself as a roving newspaper photographer. Yeah, I'm like, why? This is just another in the long line of, why are you with Takoya? You could do so much better. Yeah, yeah, man. In a slightly cooler story, Hitomi is just our Spider-Man in this universe. I mean, she would be Spider-Gwen. I guess Spider-Hitomi, but that wouldn't really... Or, you know, like, she'd just be a Spider-Person. She'd be, like, Silk or Spider-Woman, like one of the many Spiders person. Right. Silk seems more correct. I've always felt like, sure, there's a Spider-Woman, but her powers seem so disparate compared to Spider-Man's powers that, like, other characters, Spider-Verse wives, have similar powers, and this is... This is way too far down this rabbit hole. That is, that, this is not a thing we need to discuss, I suppose. But that is a, a weird thing that Spider-Woman, which seems like the most obvious Spider-Man analog, right? right. Like Hulk and She-Hulk, right. Spider-Man and Spider-Woman, is maybe the least cool of the many very cool Spider-Persons who have been part of the Spider-Man story. I, I'm wondering if, you know, to say least cool is probably a loaded term, but I'm wondering if part of that is... Because because she's not really an analog, it and whereas the others function in a very similar way to Spider-Man. That's true, yeah. It's that the others, because they're functioning like Spider-Man, you know, Spider-Man's already great. They're also all great. And Spider-Woman's character is different in a way that, honestly, if the character was named something different, you wouldn't be trying to fit her in the Spider-Man box. Right. <laughs> but... Anyway, sorry, Jessica Drew. That was 
that was Mark and Brian vamp for a couple of minutes to fill out this short episode. So Shinko has called Hitomi and says, hey, I got a hot tip for you for your newspaper job. I can tell you where you can get pictures of Spider-Man. And Hitomi basically seems to have an article written and ready to go within, what, the hour? Yeah. And she's back at work. Uh, pitching to her boss at the Weekly Woman, who, as we all may remember, is secretly the Amazonist. It's like, yeah, Spider-Man's going to be at the hospital. And this is where it's like, oh, right. There are villains and evildoers in this show. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that is. It is weird to remember that Hitomi's boss at the newspaper is just the Amazonist. Right. Because it is a mostly, like, vestigular plot point, but every now and then it becomes weirdly relevant. It's like uh, Gus's job at the pharmaceutical company in Psych. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, so we cut to Amazonus being Amazonus talking to Professor Monster for all of, I don't know, 20 seconds. Uh, they come up with the plan, let's kill Spider-Man, and that's the last we're going to see a Professor Monster this week, so... Yeah, Professor Monster's just here long enough to say, yeah, whatever, I guess send some minions to the hospital. I'm not going to put a whole lot of thought into this one. No. No, it's like, oh, we came in halfway through the episode? Like, we don't we don't got time to, to plan or care. <laughs> I, I like the idea that Professor Monster's like, oh, you wrote me in one minute of this episode? Well, I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you the effort of a character who's in this movie for one minute. Right. That's how much effort you're getting. Hand wave, go kill Spider-Man, thanks. Yep. Monster, out! So Spider-Man says, all right, off to the hospital. He talks to himself a lot this episode, which I enjoy. He gets in the whole Spider-Man getup, gets on a nearby roof, sees Hitomi here, and then sees a bunch of... I guess, sort of suspicious-looking passers-by. Yeah, like that guy on crutches. He looks suspicious in a yeah. hospital. <laughs> I, maybe his spider sense was tingling, I guess. I I guess. is Usually it, there's, a, there's a more visual signifier of that in this universe. Yeah, and then he uses, like, the device on his arm. What What is happening here? I can't tell. Is he... Is he decloaking them to reveal their ninders? Or is he only, like, seeing through the mirage that they've put up of being, like, people? I don't know. Because the thing is, when they're revealed as ninders, Spider-Man is still not seen by anybody, so they continue doing their things, which my favorite is clearly the ninder on crutches. Ninder on crutches is great. Because ninder on crutches is still, like, using those crutches trying to get along. Excuse me. The implication very clearly is that somehow the like gigantic boxy wrist communicator on his wrist lets him see through their disguises. Right. But only if he remembers to turn it on. Yeah. Like he's got to push a button. And then like Hatomi's boss, the editor at the paper shows up. Spider-Man's very confused by her presence here. And he pushes the button on his wrist again. And he has finally seen through the Amazonus's clever secret disguise. Right. Like, this is a heck of an episode to just like, oh yeah, let's resolve that plot point and not do a ton with it, but like, yep, now now he knows who the Amazonus is. 
Yep. So, Spider-Man is hesitant to actually go into the hospital because if he does, he's going to get jumped by a bunch of ninders and possibly put the people in the hospital at risk because he's going to bring ninders into the hospital. So he is not going in, but that means inside, Junchi is very worried and upset that Spider-Man made a promise to him and is not delivering. Right. And this is at the point where I'm thinking... Is Spider-Man not showing up going to let this child die of a broken heart? Right, right. Because this uh, this universe has done that sort of thing to us before. It absolutely has. And this is the one place in the episode where the mom kind of steps up. Uh, and by which I don't mean she's, she wasn't taking care of him before. She has always been taking care of him. But her performance has been sketchy. Yeah. Uh, throughout and, and to be fair, the writing of her character has been a little weird. But she takes her kid and says, listen, I know you're very sad, but it is quite possible that Spider-Man had other very important things to attend to right now. Uh, you know who she doesn't she doesn't say like on the nose. Listen, remember, he is saving the earth. Right. But she's kind of covering that. You, you know who hasn't been helpful? Uh, Takuji. Yeah. With his kind of. You know, I, I'm sure, like, he thinks he's being helpful by reinforcing what this child is feeling, but yelling, Spider-Man's a liar! That's that's not helping the situation. That's not doing any good. I mean, <laughs> I just... You're only escalating here. Right. I. It feels very much like Takuji's secret real, real myth-ness is he hasn't gotten to hang out with Spider-Man. Yeah, Abs- I mean, T- Takuji is definitely annoyed that he has not got to meet Spider-Man. Right, he's 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 trying to be. It's it's like a kid trying to be on their best behavior for Christmas, but also really feeling they're justified in petulancy. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So, boy, okay. Spider-Man now realizing that he's not going to make it because he's going to have to lead the Amazonas away from the hospital. Writes a note and folds it up into a paper airplane. (laughs) Just like this is this is the least Spider-Man solution to this problem. (laughs) It's so wild. Like what what I could see for like a normal Spider-Man solution would be. Like, you would put it in a thing and then shoot a web that would carry it the whole way over and, like, stick on the wall in the room or something. Right, yeah. But no, he just paper airplane. Just paper airplaned it. And the the note arrives after Junchi has already been, like, taken out to be prepped for surgery. To be fair, only about 20 seconds after that has happened. Yeah. Shinko finds the note, but cannot get there in time because by the time like she runs down the hall and she's like beating on the door trying to yell the information in. But the kid's already been put under. Yeah, and they're already in the middle of surgery. I mean, this healthcare system works fast. It works very fast. <laughs> I mean, hey, he's in the hospital. Well, I guess we can do the surgery today. And and while that is happening, Amazon is says to her henchman. I wrote this down as a quote because it's great. Spider-Man will probably come soon, so be sure to shoot him. <laughs> and then everyone just pulls out guns from their, like, coat pockets. 
<laughs> I mean, at least Amazonus is finally getting down to business. Like, yeah. you know what? Just don't try to capture. Just shoot him. Shoot. Quit Spider-Man. trying weird martial arts that Spider-Man is clearly superior at. Yeah. Just shoot the Spider-Man. Uh, but Amazonus, it turns out, has a very limited well of patience because she gets mad about 15 minutes. She's like, so much for Spider-Man's promises. I <laughs> just just the the concept of Amazonus being both annoyed that she's had to wait, nothing has happened, and also feeling somewhat disappointed in Spider-Man because he was not reliable. Yeah. It's a real yeah. book. <laughs> so she leaves. Spider-Man confronts her and says, Hey, I know who you are. Amazonist, because she's still uh, in disguise as the paper editor. Yeah. And it turns into a like a bit of a chase scene. She tries to shoot him. She's standing like three feet away, but misses by a good foot and a half. Yeah, it's we go through a scene where there isn't fighting. There's just Spider-Man walking by stuff that explodes. Yep, but that happens I, for a while. Uh, you know what they didn't do? Tell Spider-Man he should react to anything exploding. Like, Spider-Man is real cash in this yeah. whole sequence. It's it's like Spider-Man was told, you know people who walk away from large explosions in slow-mo like nothing's happening? Just do that all the time. Yep. We're going to blow up like an entire like bridgey thing, and you're just, you're going to be fine. Yep. So eventually Spider-Man and the Amazonists confront each other again. And apparently there's a monster of the week, which I just thought wasn't happening by this point, because there's legitimately three minutes of this episode left. Yep. And this is where I get to what I believe is the most egregious mistranslation. Yeah. Would you like to tell us about this monster, Brian? You mean killer unicorn? Killer unicorn. What what is the key feature you would say of a unicorn? The one long horn, usually. I mean, also being a horse is pretty key. Right. So would you say clearly being a dinosaur that's a triceratops is not a unicorn? <laughs> well, yeah, the presence of three horns does sort of take away from the uni it, part it, of unicorn. It's not even like it's a horse with three horns. It's clearly a triceratops. Yeah, 100%. It, it, you, you could maybe make an argument that it's a bit of a rhinoceros. Yeah, I, I you could that. They, they but there's nothing have, equine yeah. about this monster. No. I, I'm wondering if they got to this part of the episode, they're like, ah, throw someone in. What have you written down? Killer unicorn. Do we have any costumes that have horns on them? This one, that's got like four horns. And like, ah, whatever. Three, four, yeah. one. It's all the same. I presume it is either exactly that, like just a rushed and kind of sloppy job in production. Mm-hmm. Or as you suggested earlier, maybe just a bad localization in the translation. Right. Because, come on. Whoever localized it had to speak English, and I would think could see that that's not a unicorn. That is absolutely... Now, it's not at anything, though. Right. This thing is here for, like, 30 seconds of... this. It might have less screen time than Professor Monster. Honestly, like, even when it does its grow animation, doesn't it look like it only grew to half the height all other monsters grow to? Yeah, it's... I very much presume this is a monster that they made several weeks ago, and we're like, whoa. This guy's not going anywhere. And so they just like chucked him out at this very clearly half-hearted and already failed plan. You know how half-hearted this is? 
Like, sometimes I write down how the episode is going to end, you know, Marveler, Change Leopardon, Arc Turn, Sword Figure. Yep. Because uh, that's what happens. We didn't even do Arc Turn this week. We just immediately went to Sword Vigor fight over. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, he called Marveler, and I'll be honest, he looked a little sleepy when he was riding Marveler. Yeah. He looked like, like he put a little bit of a of a edge in his voice when he yelled for Marveler. Yeah, like he was in real danger. But then it looked like he took a nap while he was having a ride at Marveler. Right, it's like, uh, I, I mean, I don't even know why, why there's just not a sequence where... Marveler changes into Leopardon just flat out all the time and throws a sword. Yeah. Like, we we got this pretty well on autopilot. Yep. And that's, like, that's that for Killer Unicorn or whatever thing is. Killer Unicorn of the three-horned kind. And then Spider-Man goes back to visit the boy after his surgery. And this feels a little closer to the Takuji that I know and love. Because we're now getting minimal effort, Spider-Man. <laughs> you mean Spider-Man who can't figure out how to open that window so he can come inside and is just waving at the kid through the yeah. window upside down? Yeah. He just gives him a wave from outside. He's like, hey, uh, good to see you. Yeah. That's it. I like to think that like after the episode cut, he actually went inside and visited. But it very much looks like he just like swung by to wave from the window and then cruise on. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Spider-Man, you could have revealed yourself by swinging by the window and then swinging out. Like, you wouldn't have had to go into the hospital, and if you just yep. started swinging away, they wouldn't do anything with the hospital. But He but, did arrive, like, eight seconds after Takuji left, so Takuji still does not get to see Spider-Man. Right. Yep. And then the narration shows up to say... As long as Spider-Man possesses a warm heart, he will never be beaten by the Iron Cross army. Yep, that is that is certainly a thing that was said. Uh, also, <laughs> we glossed over it, but when he, you know, shouted his battle cry, it was this week, the man who risks his life for promises, Spider-Man. Yeah, he's not an emissary from hell this week. Yeah. He absolutely did not risk his life for promises, though. No. He very intentionally did not deliver on his promise to save lives it's the opposite of what he said right he he very much used exact wording rules and like i will be there after the surgery yep <laughs> like that's kind of like being there for your surgery it's it's a nebula i'll visit at some point uh yep. yeah so it, it it's one of those things where the washington post will like rate it kind of in the middle for mostly true or mostly false, depending on how they feel in the day. Like, there's an element of truth to what he said. It's uh, it's all about a certain point of view. Yeah. Yep. And that's our episode. Yep. Just, uh, and that kid's fine, we should point out. That yeah, kid, the, kid, the kid recovers from surgery, from what we can tell. Yeah, that, that was not how we expected the episode to go, because, no. again, this, this universe doesn't have uh, problems with, like, inflicting death on people at at times that you would not expect so nah kid kid survives and kid doesn't have to be shipped away to some secret facility or anything right. like that <laughs> he actually gets to just yeah. have a better life than he had yesterday yeah which is a rarity in this particular universe yes it is <laughs> man it was very fun and as weird as it always is to revisit spider-man Yes, it was. 
So weird. But I think that's it for us this week, yeah? Yeah, I think so. So that means it's time to tell you that the Super Sentai Buddies are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. You can find it and all of the other Retrograde Orbit Radio shows on RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. You can find Matt, your usual host, on Twitter at Super Sentai Bros. You can find me at RO Radio, and you can find Brian at Mount Olympus Pod, which is the Twitter handle for our other podcast. We like to remind you that Shining in the Apple Podcast Review section are five stars. Please take a moment when you can to rate, review, subscribe on Apple or whatever podcast catcher you use. That is going to do it for us this week. Thanks for joining in. I'm Mark. I'm Brian. And we will see you next week for the greatest show on earth. Spider-Man. Spider-Man.